Hi, this is Sarah Tebow. And this is Liz Bernstein, and we are the hosts of the Side Woo Podcast. This is a space to investigate what makes a creative life possible. From the mundane to the sublime, the physical to the metaphysical. Welcome to the Side Woo. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Side Woo. This week we talk with Rachel Howe of Small Spells. I first met Rachel at a Maker's Fair here in LA and was immediately interested to learn more about her book, Witch Ethics. The book is all about keeping track of your energy and setting healthy energetic boundaries both as a healer and as an empath. Rachel is a Los Angeles-based illustrator, Reiki healer, stick-and-poke tattoo artist, a potter, a tarot reader, and a writer. She also created the Small Spells Tarot Deck, which is really beautiful and available for purchase in her shop, smallspells.com. We had a great conversation about North Nodes, boundaries, and the challenges of communicating as an empath, among other things. So I'm really excited to share this episode with you. Per usual, if you enjoy our podcast, please share, write us a review, give us a little five-star love, or if there's anything you've been dying to ask us, send a little email to thesidewoo at gmail.com. And with that, I'll leave you to it. Well, we usually like to start with what sign people mm-hmm. are. And I, as someone who reads birth charts for your profession, I'm guessing you know your entire chart. I do. Yes. So feel free to give us the highlights. The highlights are I'm an Aries sun. I have a Virgo moon, Sagittarius rising. And then for me, I have or what was sort of meaningful for me or explained a lot for me is that I have Mercury and Venus in Pisces. And so I'm I definitely have a lot of Aries qualities and I definitely feel my Virgo moon. But I think the Mercury in Pisces really explained a lot about myself to myself when I learned that. Do you mind flushing that out a little bit? What does that mean? And then how did it help you understand who you are? Yeah. So so Aries and also having the Sag rising and even the Virgo, those are all pretty like straightforward signs where I always really struggle to communicate what's everything that's going on inside of me Mm. and struggle to make sense of everything that's going on inside of me versus outside. Like they're always... Is that a Pisces thing? No, I think it's like the contrast between Pisces and the other, Mm. the three main, the sun, moon, rising. So Mercury and Pisces, because Mercury is how we communicate both what we are taking in and then also how we translate it out. In Pisces, it's extremely open, intuitive, picking up on a lot of undercurrents of things, feeling everything at once. I definitely feel everything. And then it's very hard for me to, or it was when I was younger, very hard to explain everything that I'm feeling because Pisces is just so open. It's the final sign. It almost is every sign in this Mm -hmm. culmination. Um, and it has like no boundaries. It's just really open. So Mercury and Pisces, how that translates for me is that it means that my interior experience is that I'm feeling and understanding everything. That's what it feels like to me. But when I try to explain it, it's like <laughs> this yeah. void in between. It's very hard for me to articulate and to make sense of everything that I was thinking about and feeling But then once I got into healing work, which is also Pisces work, Mm. everything began to make more sense. And for instance, I was never really good at public speaking or I'd get really nervous and freeze up and I was always very quiet. But when I got into healing work, I could talk for hours. Like I could talk for hours about energies. I mean, we're going to. (laughs) Yeah, that is why we are here. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do you feel like when you first heard the framework of astrology and tarot, having language to lean on was incredibly helpful in having you translate your inner realities into... Oh, totally. Super mm. helpful, but then also super helpful for me to just be like, oh, this makes sense in the world, but also having new language that, that I could then use that made sense to me. 
because the language, you know, just as an example, when I was a teenager, I was really depressed and I was going to therapy and I was on antidepressants and the language that I had in that context to try to explain how I was feeling inside, it didn't make sense. Like what I was feeling inside was so dramatic. But then when I would go to therapy and talk about my life, it's like not dramatic at all. Like nothing was happening and (laughs) nothing really bad was going on. I was just feeling a lot. Yeah, Yeah. Like I was just feeling so much without any sort of context or outlet. So it just made me feel alienated. And then Mm. once I learn this new language and everything made sense Mm -hmm. in this language, it just was like, oh, I have a way to talk about what I feel. I have a new logic that, you know, I didn't have that logic before. And that was incredibly helpful. I had the exact opposite experience. And it's (laughs) so interesting to hear your experience because when I was, this was a long time ago, but when I was in rehab, Everybody was like, my God, it's like having another therapist in the room. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. my articulation was so, I mean, I don't want to be like amazing, but yeah. I could articulate and analyze everybody's experience, including my own, while like drinking myself to death. I was going to say, that's like its own defense mechanism. The more I died inside, the smarter and smarter and smarter I sounded. Mm-hmm. And when I finally got myself together a little bit. The first therapist I saw after rehab, I was like, I really need you to understand that I always sound okay. Like Mm, I always sound okay. Please like meet me in some middle ground to Mm. understand who I am. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. I mean, that is something I was struck by when we first started the podcast together is how articulate Liz was at following her own thought Mm -hmm. process. Mm Mm-hmm. And being able to identify the moment of psychosis within the thought pattern and describe it and then move on from it. Pathology, not yeah. psychosis. <laughs> or, yeah, and, and like be able to articulate it and then move on to contextualizing it within her right. life. And for me, I'm a Scorpio Mercury mm-hmm. in 12th house. So I have had a similar issue where feeling everything at once and language just inherently fails yeah. you when that is your mode of going through the world. And so I went in the direction of shutting it all down for mm-hmm. a long time with my Capricorn moon and just like putting it in a box where crying was like the most shameful thing I could ever think of and just really being overly analytical and fact-driven mm-hmm. until at some point that no longer was useful. And I think both sides of this coin really brings up like how useful language is when it comes to like energy work and processing feelings. It is useful, but it really fails us. And I think that's part of the thing we're struggling with too, finding the intersection of mental health and metaphysics. The language is kind of the same. And so what is it that differentiates it? It's the experience. And that's really hard to articulate. I remember when I first was going to therapy, and I think I was like 14 or 15, And my therapist was asking me all these things of how I felt. And I answered every question with, I don't know. And I mean, eventually working with the therapist, she got me to describe things. But just the utter lack of language to even try to explain to somebody else what was going on inside of me. It was like, I literally did not know. And then, you know, so you have that shut down. And looking back, like, what was it, do you think? Was it just you hadn't found the framework yet? I think looking back, I've always been very intuitive. And I think I've always been very absorbent of other people's energy. So I think what was happening is that I I would pick up on what other people were feeling, but it like collides with your family dynamics. And so like my, the family dynamics were often not really open expression of what you're feeling if it's like gonna make someone uncomfortable so I think the combination of that is I would pick up on oh someone's unhappy or someone's upset but then they're not saying I'm upset because that just wasn't what we did so then I just start to be like I feel terrible because I'm feeling this other emotion then I internalize it because it's like well if everyone else is acting like everything's okay, I must be producing this. I mean, I don't I wasn't thinking about it like that 
consciously when I was a mm. kid. But I think looking back, there was like a this contradiction. Anyone can feel when someone's upset. So then let's say someone's upset, but they're like pretending that they're not. And then you're a child. Yeah, there wasn't context. That's like gaslighting. You see reality and somebody's like, no, that's not reality. You're like, okay, well, if that's not reality, then everything about how I assess the world is damaged somehow. Yeah. And it's not even necessarily with the negative intention of of gaslighting. Like it's sometimes just people don't know how to deal with shit. And growing up in the Midwest, you know, it was very much a culture of repression. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it was just like, that is how we deal with things is we don't talk about them. And And so I think what happened is like just over time, it just started to be like, oh, well, there's something wrong with me. I'm the problem. I'm feeling all of these things. And I think I didn't really get out of that until I got into healing work and then started to like really shed a lot of this stuff and really start to see like, I don't think I was even depressed. You know, I don't think I should have been on antidepressants because I don't think I was actually depressed. I think I was just experiencing things. Reacting normally to your environment. Yeah. And and just basically having no guidance about boundaries or, you know, this is mm. part of why I am really into it. But did you ever read any Glenna Doyle? No. She's very like mainstream soccer mommy. But uh-huh. in one of her books, she talks about the first time she felt like truth was allowed was when she went to this wellness center mm-hmm. when she was in high school because she could say exactly what was happening and truth was being reflected back to her, mm-hmm. but within the context of her not being well. But she's like, I actually felt more sane there than I did returning back to my normal world. And that's, you know, that's the thing is like, if I, when I was younger, if I said anything was wrong or that I didn't feel good, it it's like there would be this implication of either judgment of me or that I was somehow judging my environment. And I think in healing spaces, you're kind of allowed to just um, say, you know, oh, I feel bad. And you're not, you're not making it anyone's job to fix you or you're not passing judgment on anything. You're allowed to just say, I don't feel good. And you're allowed to just have that be like the sentence is, I don't feel good, period. Nothing has to be done about it. I'm not critiquing anyone else. I'm not critiquing myself. But I think when I was younger and in these more, you know, just the mainstream thing, I went to therapy to make me better, you know, to make me feel better to fix something. And I don't think there was anything that needed to be fixed. Obviously, There's a lot of families with challenging dynamics out there and then like probably especially people who are listening to this have really Mm -hmm. done a lot of conscious thought about how to heal from the dynamics in their family of origin. But something that resonated that I just want to highlight is that experience of going to a family member when something's been really hard between and you're like, you're going to try, you're going to talk, you're going to do something to like break the pattern, change the way Mm -hmm. it's coming with vulnerability. And then you say a sentence about something that was hard for you and you get yelled at. (laughs) I could see from everybody's face, they knew where this was going, but you're just like, that was really painful when, and it's like, well, I didn't know what to do. Right. I mean, that's like the rules. I did my best. Like you are calling out the triangle of projection. And so if they don't yeah. yell at you, it means that you haven't quite hit it yet. You know, it's like <laughs> totally. there's going to be pushback if you're hitting the nail on the head. That's a good point. Check that box. The dynamic for me was less that I was going to be yelled at and more that I was going to hurt the feelings oh. of, of the person. And that is really difficult because it's like if I can't talk about my pain, you know, I basically repressed all my pain because I was like, well, if I tell my family about this, it's going to hurt them. I'll be causing them pain. And it was sort of like the sacrifice. Were you a little parentalized? Did you do a little parenting of the parents at some point? Yeah. I took on and continue to take on the, I do all of the emotional labor in my family. I, I do all of the emotional work. I take on all of the emotional weight I carry it for them because they're not they're not doing it for themselves. I have one sibling that I'm very close to. She's doing the work and she uh I 
I consider her, uh, I talk to her almost like a mother figure because she is the one person in my family that I can say something. I can say, I don't feel good, period. And she will hold that space for me and not take offense and not be hurt. And she can do the same for me. So I have a sibling that is in the recent past, she's really been doing her own heavy lifting Mm. of her own emotions. And I really appreciate that. And I think the other people in my family are doing what they can, but their limit of doing what they can is not enough for me. Right. Mm -hmm. They just don't have the tools necessarily. I think that's so interesting that you had this problem and then your book, Witch Ethics, while targeted towards healers, is really just a guide for empaths. When I saw it, as someone who, you mm-hmm. know, feels everyone's feelings and had a, similar issues with boundaries energetically and emotionally, like always, not I'm not going to talk about it mm-hmm. as if it's in the past, but I was like, oh my God, like this is the book that we all need to read. Maybe you can just explain what Witch Ethics the book is and how you came to write it. So definitely came out of a lot of personal experience. So the family stuff, like we talked about, boundaries was not something I was taught. In fact, I was taught kind of the opposite of boundaries, which is like always prioritize other people's comfort over your own discomfort. So on a personal level, I had a ton of boundary work to do. And then when I got into healing and specifically like reading and intuitive work, It just kind of was like, I think it might be my Virgo moon, but I was just kind of noticing like, oh, there are definitely these fine lines everywhere. As a practitioner, there's this huge responsibility and I just would come up against like, oh, I'm, you know, intuiting really deep personal things about people. How do I talk about it, you know, in a way that's really respectful to them and their privacy and still going deep enough where we can do meaningful work and also receiving a lot of readings and healing work and just doing a lot of observation. And then it eventually turned into some workshops. When you start getting into doing this work, you like, let's say you start getting into reading tarot. It's this huge opening. There's so much to explore. You're sitting with other people's energy. You're talking about really personal things. You're getting into your intuition more. I had various teachers and mentors, but people rarely get to really have a relative or a teacher that's going to really give them the guidelines. And, you know, it felt like this free for all, which I think is really positive in a lot of ways, because it opens up the language we can use, it opens up the understanding that we can have of ourselves that's not limited to how we felt when we were younger. So there's this huge opening up. But I never wanted to like cause harm to somebody. I personally have gotten readings where I don't know if it like caused harm to me. You know, maybe the person talked about things I was not ready to talk about or in a way that was not very Mm. sensitive to where I might be. You know, everyone is in a different stage Mm -hmm. of their healing. And so I think it's really just taking into consideration when you're reading somebody, you're, you're entering into their psychic space and you're entering into their inner mm-hmm. landscape. And yes, if they've hired you for a reading, they're giving you permission, but you still have to tread carefully in someone else's mm-hmm. inner landscape. So it was, you know, a bit around the professional work. It's a bit around family stuff. I started to see it just in my daily life with like mm-hmm. friends and, you know, just really being like, we can't just walk around reading people and entering into their psychic space all the time. There just needs to be guidelines. The long and short of the book is when you're aware of other people's energies, becoming more mindful and creating a structure for asking yourself, should I be looking at this person's energy? What is my intention? By understanding their energy or checking in with their energy, Am I violating their privacy? And then also thinking about in terms of boundaries for yourself, how do I use the information I gather from other people through kind of like a more psychic, energetic reading? How do I use that in my life? And is that limiting me in my relationships in some way? And and then you talk about different ways of using it specifically for healing practices, but also 
feels like a lot about not enabling unhealthy relationships, mm. which I mm-hmm. think is the most universal use of it beyond like the witch focus. Two things really jumped out at me, both Mm -hmm. reading witch ethics, but also listening to this conversation right now. The book really focuses on relationships between healers and people who are seeking some type of energetic healing. But I was like, oh my gosh, this reminds me of when I was getting my MFA in art Mm -hmm. And you show people your art and they're like in your psychic space because this is your space and they lose their sense of caretaking. And, you know, and it's not like I want everybody to be like, oh, my God, the genius in this room is so bright. I got to put sunglasses on. I mean, I can take critique. and I mean, you kind of do. People came in with sledgehammers to massacre you. And I'm just struck by how many places. Obviously, good boundaries is for everybody all the time. But there are also places that mirror these healing relationships in Mm -hmm. ways that are not recognized as as vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Like maybe when you see a doctor, you know, Mm -hmm. these very, Mm -hmm. very heightened connections. Or, and the last part was sex. How do you not violate somebody when you're in bed with them? And how Mm -hmm. do you reflect them back to themselves, you know, like enhance so many things. And then to your point about interpersonal relationships, when you get physically intimate with someone, how do you not take on their Mm -hmm. stuff? Mm -hmm. Because I feel like the one of the biggest challenges for me has really been that distance of like, you're over Mm -hmm. there, I'm here. You know, when you're physically intermeshed, it's easier to kind of let that slide and things get murky. Just speaking for myself, I guess. (laughs) I think that's a lot of my Pisces lesson too. Like having the Venus in Pisces is like, it is, it is my preference to just lose myself in something, Mm -hmm. in someone else, in something else. My Venus in Pisces is like, just, just let me dissolve into something else. Mm. I grew up with three Pisces Uh sons and I'm like the one Scorpio. Uh So yeah, I, I feel like that was the vibe in the house was like very like, we don't talk about it, but we all know yeah. already because we're super psychic, like just going back and forth, ping-ponging around. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it, I think, comes down to compassion because all of the work that I do is like really intertwined with like my own personal history and my own personal life work. But, you know, it's not compassionate to fix other people. It's not compassionate to read people and tell them what to do without taking into consideration where they're at in their journey. I don't want to give a reading where I'm using language that they don't understand, where I'm telling them to go too far out of their comfort zone. Well, a good example that you gave in the book was someone who came to you for a reading and they were like, I want to work harder and I want to feel really good about myself. And then your interpretation of their energy and what they were actually experiencing was that they were exhausted and had some self-esteem issues. And so you talk about the challenge of, well, to deliver that hard truth is maybe not your place, but how does the energy worker or the friend Mm -hmm. or whoever take in that information and then use it to meet them where they're at? I have been on the other side of this a lot of times what we think our problem is, is not actually what our problem is. So, you know, if someone is like, I feel like that's really profound. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Everybody pause, take out your mental highlighter. This is like an Oprah tweet, tweet moment. Yeah. (laughs) Take that in. A lot of people think that they know what their problem is. And so let's say in that work example, you know, a lot of people use work to feel like they are valuable. So when they're not feeling valuable, they're like, oh, my problem is I need to work harder. I need to succeed more. I need to push harder. And it's like, well, if we cycle backwards, if the core issue is that you don't feel valuable, maybe the problem is not that you need to work harder. That's not the only way that you can feel valuable. In fact, it is a trap. You'll never feel valuable. Exactly. So this is if what they've been doing to try to help themselves has not been working. You know, if something's like truly making you feel good, you don't need to change it. But if you're coming to a practitioner, it's probably not working. So being able to get them to sort of see what's the other option of where you can find your value Mm. and, you know, just trying to get them onto a different track. I mean, the thing is, is that often 
where in this example, where they're going to find their value is probably a, a wounded place. They're going to have to then be guided into safely entering mm. this wounded place where their feeling of value actually is. Thinking about Chiron, do you feel like that aligns with certain placements when you look at someone's birth chart? Oh, yeah. I always look at where their Chiron is. Always. Yeah. I think that's like one of the most meaningful what is Chiron? Okay, so Chiron <laughs> started speaking a Star Trek language. It's it's somewhere between like an asteroid and a planet, so it's like a smaller, minor, more recently discovered body in the sky. And the mythology around it, or the the astrological meaning of Chiron, is that it's the wounded healer. So it is a point. So whatever sign and house it's in is going to describe the area in your life where you have your deepest core wound but if you can face and love and accept that core wound it becomes a huge strength for you place that you have the most power and then can use that to heal others yes and for me it showed up a lot as the place where i have to let go of my expectations for where i'm at in the world and let go of any ego around me doing something differently or succeeding at it mm -hmm. and then letting it go to then help other people succeed. And then through that kind of healing myself. My therapist used to call it a, your cracked identity, mm -hmm. the fundamental belief that you, yes. air quotes, everybody know is true yeah. about yourself that then like misinforms almost mm -hmm. every yeah. opportunity to analyze pretty much anything mm -hmm. going mm -hmm. forward. But I do want to give a shout out to the people who with compassion do, and I know you're not saying this is not valuable, but the people who with compassion drop really hard mm -hmm. truths. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you find that balance of the compassion, but boy, you know, you're about to get yelled at. You're about to get like, you know, just the person you talk to is going to go after you with all of their worth to tell you why you are not accurate. Well, so this would be like a difference. So if somebody is really going to say the hard stuff, if they are saying that in a way that my Mercury can vibe with, that's, that's great. That's a great entry point. If they are saying it in a way that's going to like trigger my Chiron, that's mm. when I might shut down because, because Chiron is such that core wound that it really does, like you're saying, inform everything else. And it's our most sensitive spot. So part of using your intuition when you're giving a reading is intuiting, how can I be really honest and straightforward and really get to the point in a way that where they have an opening versus where they have a wound and where they might shut down. I had a thought just as you were saying that, that the Chiron placement informing the way you're perceiving the world and then that being really connected to the intention behind checking other people's energies. If you have this wound that's like untreated, that probably also informs the reason that you're looking into other people's energies and then helps inform your interpretation. Even someone who gets really confused and like hears people's emotions as loud as mine, if I let it get to that place, our emotions are not really even that true. They're just fleeting and confused as anything. And I just had this thought about Chiron informing the energy reading to a point where that's another reason to be really careful about how do you approach it and what your intention is, is because if you're so wounded and constantly checking in with other people's energies, like, am I enough? Am I okay? Like, do they like me? Do they want me to do something else so that they're happy? That's just going to wear you out. And so totally. like, yeah. even though that skill can be used, what you're doing now for something better down the line, you first have to cut off like, I am enough. I have to be enough for myself. And then I can go and use my skills at reading other people to help them, but not to like get validation totally. constantly. Yeah. I feel like that's definitely what I did for 90% of my life. And as soon as you realize it, you're like, oh, right. I didn't even know I was doing that. Oh, totally. I have written before about how tarot is a mirror. So I'm holding up a mirror to somebody else through the lens of the tarot. 
And when I started reading tarot, it was like that mirror was basically just like a picture of me, you know, because it's completely through the lens of my issues, my traumas, my self-esteem, my perceptions. And you really start to see that. And then I had to do all of this work on myself in order to become a better tarot reader because Mm. it was really just work of how to be compassionate towards myself because I, I need to be able to be compassionate to somebody else. And so if I'm this conduit or I'm this mirror or this lens, it needs to be as clear as possible, meaning without my baggage. And it can have my perspective. Every time we go to a reader, it is translated through their their mind, their brain, their language, their perspective. And we want that. And that's why we go to like different readers, get different viewpoints. Don't you feel like it's set up that way? You go to a reader who maybe is going through something mm-hmm. similar and you maybe won't ever right. know. I know when I get clients, there's usually that piece in there that I'm supposed to work on too, right? So like you're being put together rather than them coming to you. But it is a funny line because one of the things I've just noticed, how quickly people who have the same wounds find each other. There can be 40 Mm -hmm. people in a room. The other people in recovery, I mean, it's like they're the sun and I'm a little planet or I'm the sun and they're a little planet. We find each other and you can't believe it. Everybody you you swipe like on, on Tinder, it's based on that microscopic moment. It is crazy how much information is transmitted. And then it's crazy how when you try to break that because it's not serving you, it is harder than anything. The energetic, it's used for healing. But it also can amplify all of our wackadoodle sides and bring us into other extreme unhealthy places. And because it's so convincing and so immersive, it can be hard to put a wrench in it when you realize you're, you are actually being drawn to somebody's energy, but it's not like a cleansing healthy thing. You're just enmeshed and losing your mind together. It's the safe space. Yeah. Yeah. Energy is, it's never not around us doing its thing, communicating with other energy. That's where our personal responsibility and intention comes in is being like, okay, how, you know, maybe the flow of energy around me is like putting me together with certain people or or recreating situations or whatever. Then you have to start to be like, well, how do I want to be interacting within this. And I think that's the other thing is when I first started getting into healing work and more spiritual work, I felt very carried by the swirl of energy where I was just like, I almost didn't have to do anything. And as long as I was being Mm. open and doing my personal work, it was just this wave that I I was being carried on and things were happening around me. And um, and then I remember it gets to a point where that wave stops carrying you because Same. it's your time to start making your own choices and working with your own intention. And it felt sort of like all these doors had suddenly closed and that's not what was happening. It was just like, you can't be carried forever, you know? So at some point you need to start working with the energy in the way that you want to. When you start something new, if you're on the right path, it floats along, right? But then the point isn't to just succeed and be floating. It's to learn and grow. And so as a result of that next lesson, you'll hit the obstacle. And to get to that next level of energy, there's that need to get through some kind of obstacle where you have to do the work and you have to solve the problem. And one of the things that you talk about in your book too is about how people have these emotional color palettes, which I love that idea as a painter. This is going to be controversial amongst the painters I know, but I do think that there's a connection to people's palettes and their energy. Ongoing inquiry for me, how is that connected to their aura or and how at points in my life, I've made conscious decisions to use different colors because I felt like maybe energetically or something about the color palette I was using was no longer serving me. And so that 
I had to like make an intellectual decision. I want to use these different colors. And it was almost this emotional, energetic reset. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about the emotional palette that you wrote about. I think what can be really empowering for a lot of people is like we tend to think of ourselves in these really judgmental ways where it's like, oh, I have these good qualities and then I have these bad qualities. It's just getting to like deeper levels of self-understanding where you can be like, I am knowing myself without this judgment and knowing myself in ways that are different than how I know myself through interacting with people. So being able to look at yourself from a different angle, which is almost like doing the work that we were just talking about in a tarot reading where you're, we're trying to get someone to see other possibilities or other angles. Yeah. Well, and that's like the work of therapy too. It's just a different modality. Like how can the therapist convince you of a new perspective or present different perspectives and you choose the one that makes the most sense to move forward? Yeah, but I don't think any of, I think what we're talking about is it's not intellectual. We have this intellectual construct of who we think that we are. And most of that is based off of like, my mom treats me this way. My best friend treats me this way. This is how I date people or whatever. But I do think there's like a mindset shift that has, you can't make the change at the same level that you were operating. But I do think at some point there's a shift in your thoughts that do have to change, even though maybe that's not the first thing that happens. Yes, we need everything I'm not like anti-therapy. I'm not anti-intellectualizing things. I'm very pro-intellectualizing things. Um, But I think that the, the mindset change is not the priority. It's what needs to happen after the emotional shift so that things make sense. If I have an, an emotional shift in how I feel about myself, I also want it to make sense in my mind. But I think the deeper change comes from these emotional and energetic shifts. And so it can be really powerful to think about your self-conception in ways that you maybe haven't thought about it before. So thinking about what what are my colors, even sometimes just thinking of my name or saying my name and being like, what is my name? What associations come up? What does my name feel like? How do I think of myself via my name? Oh, I love that. How does that play out usually? Usually it opens up new positive self-conceptions. So do you have images that pop up? Oh, my name, I associate with this feeling or? It's really like energetic. If I was to do it, I would sit and meditate and just say my name in my brain a bunch of times or in my mind and just kind of let emotional associations come up. Obviously, I have an idea of my personality that is in the world, but trying to access a more energetic feel of who is this person, Rachel Howe, like what feelings are coming up in this moment around my name. And it's almost like being able to see yourself through these more spiritual or universal eyes. I know that my self-perception is so inaccurate based on many things (laughs) throughout my life. And that's really empowering because, you know, I've done a lot of work so that my my understanding that my self-conception is not accurate, it feels freeing. It doesn't feel chaotic to me, although I understand how that can feel. And at times it has felt like if I don't know who I am, that's just pure chaos. Really, mm. it's this opening because then I can really tune into who I actually am, who I truly am, not through the eyes of anyone else or not dependent on anything else. I just recently did a reading for myself that Amelia, one of our previous guests, suggested where you pull a card for yourself that's how I see myself. You pull a card that's how others see me. And it could be like a specific community that you're focused on. And then strategy for integrating the two potentially. And I was so off base from how other people saw me and like not in a good way. I mean, the question is who's right? There's no wrong, one right though. That's that. There's no right or wrong. I just think there was a lack of communication or something in between the two that just made me totally shocked. Or one time I did it with dating and I was like, 
not the person I thought I was in a relationship. And I was like, oh, wow, that is something I need to work on because my intention maybe isn't that, but that is what I'm communicating. It is really fascinating. I think how you want to put all those puzzle pieces together is the exciting thing because it's not that one is true or one isn't because other people's perception of you is true in their reality. It is true. And there is something in astrology, the very top of the chart is really your most public version of yourself. For me, it's Libra, which is the opposite of my sun sign. And I do not feel Libra at all. But I know that outside, people do see me as calm. They don't see all the angst and turmoil that's going on inside. And it's been like that throughout my life. And the thing is, that isn't not me. That is also me. And it can be more me if I understand it and if I am making choices. When do I really want to step into this version of myself? Really just integrating all these different realities of who you are because they are all you. It's just it's better if we know what all of those versions are versus if we don't, if we're not aware of it, that's when these contradictions and disconnects can really cause us struggle, confusion or struggle. Yeah. Sorority is such a overarching thing that then becomes part of energy work and therapy and tarot and everything. But one of the biggest complaints people have when they listen from outside the rooms to the steps in AA is there's a lot of push to ask yourself, how was I part of the problem? What were my actions? What do I need to do to correct my actions? How was I at fault? What were my personality traits that contributed to my doing this? And I think people outside are like, oh, it's so shamey blamey. It's degrading. The person's at a low time. They already don't feel power. But like you were saying, when you realize if you're part of the problem, you're part of the solution. When you realize the feelings I have about myself are not absolute objective truth, so there's room for more generous interpretations to fit in there, it's incredibly freeing. You have to be told what you don't know and what assumptions you have that are not lining up. And for better or for worse, probably you have some things where you think you're better than you are. And then there's areas where you're probably way better than you think you are, you know, unless you're like Elon Musk. (laughs) You suck A to Z. (laughs) I've just never seen somebody like flame out so spectacularly. That plus the 16 votes for the Speaker of the House. Boy, are we on the real housewives of reality. Oh my God, our, so good. Like, government <laughs> and what in the hell? Ridiculous. Yeah. I would imagine with sobriety, I don't know if this is something that they talk about, but I would imagine that a way to come to not have struggle is that if you can accept yourself as both a currently sober person and a formerly not sober person, and instead of how is it that I could have been both. And am I going to go back to that person? But just really accepting like, I am both of those people. I mean, if you don't respect that you are your addict self always, then you get too free and easy with what behaviors are possible for you. So if you ever think that you are not Mm. that way, then that's where people start to be like, oh, I was at a party and without even thinking, I picked up a drink. And then it just made sense because I'm in my functional higher self. I've been doing this for a long time. And you can fool yourself into thinking that is only who I am. But yeah, holding contradictions. I remember this one time at a party. This was like 15 years ago. It was my parents' Christmas party. Everybody I knew at the time was like, you know, or at least in my mind, married and happily married. And I was single and I'm at my parents and it's Christmas and I'm alone. And we go to a party and I'm legitimately having fun. And then every 30 minutes I go into the bathroom for a quick cry <laughs> and just like come, come out of the bathroom. And, oh, and I remember reporting this back and my therapist, who I loved so much, she retired, but she was like, you know, being able to hold multiple truths about a reality about yourself and not see contradictions as contradictions is really like, that's a big part of the battle. Mm -hmm. Crying for me has been the ultimate 
mountain to climb because I literally didn't cry for years. I would like cry when I saw movies. Like I remember watching like Always or something. Do you guys remember that movie? Can you tell me who was in it? Richard Dreyfuss and he was a pilot. It was like in the 80s. I was really young and he died and then came back and watched his family as a ghost. And I was just like bawling. Like I have no idea why bawling and then bottled it up for another like 10, 15 years and would just occasionally cry and while crying, apologized furiously for crying. But now I feel like just losing a parent and being older in this weird time, the time between joy and sorrow is so much smaller. The gray zone gets a lot bigger, I feel like, as you get more emotionally mature. I don't know where we are going with that, but I love <laughs> the gray zone. Um, Rachel, I have one question for you that I've just been so curious about. Since you are so tuned into energetic world and being in tune with people, do you ever see energy? Do you see in a more traditional sense sort of the powers that you're working with? My power my superhero power is I'm claircognizant. So I more just like know things and I feel things. That's how I know that something is true or valid is if I, I feel it very strongly. When I was started reading tarot, it was like I was just feeling all these feelings all the time. And it kind of got to this point where I was like, I don't want to know someone's sad because mm -hmm. now I feel sad. And I, I have always had the knowing sense, but I think I was distrustful of it for a long time. Because again, just even as a kid, things weren't true unless it, it was an emotional crisis. Or that was the only way that I could really communicate what was going on inside of me is if I got upset. For me, it was like, oh, things aren't real and true unless it has this really strong emotional charge. And then when I was actually doing readings often and getting into it more professionally, I was like, oh, this actually is very wearing on me. And I knew that part of my journey was that I needed to trust my thoughts more. But, you know, I was feeling like I need to be trusting my thoughts more. I was also feeling like I don't want to be feeling so much. And so I basically sat with myself and spoke to my intuition. And I was like, you know, you know what, I need things to really be coming through my mind more. I really need to be in that world of my own feelings that are not being touched by other people's feelings. I need intuitions to be coming through my mind more. And it really amped it up. It really just like turned a switch. It's not even like, oh, a thought comes in my head and I say it. I just allow myself to say whatever just let it come out. You know, it can come through visually. When I was starting to get into this, it would come in in a lot of different ways. That's kind of where yeah. I'm at right now. It's coming through in every direction. And I did a reading yesterday and about half an hour beforehand, I started just feeling like, oh my God, I have to do this. I have to do this. Really frenetic energy, like not enough time in the day. And then I'm like, oh, I think this is for the reading. And it totally was. And in being kind of newer, I didn't know at first that it was not me. And then you figure out while you're in the call. But I like that I have multiple ways to access information. But then, yeah, I guess you feel like it's stronger because you've limited out some of the other options. Is that it's just a little more intentional and kind of in control where you know, and I like that it's like I'm participating where I'm saying this is how I would like to work best, you know, and I'm not saying never come through in another way. You don't want to be tripping on acid, you know, not like just no be like I'm the channel. So for people at home, what would you recommend if we're all receiving information all the time in different ways without being able to identify it? What would you recommend to hone that in more? I really think of it as a joint collaboration. Even just now, I'm feeling in this room right now, in my room, I'm feeling a happy presence. Is it a ghost, do you think? <laughs> it's like some type of energy that is just like happy with the way that we're talking about things. All that's helpful for me right now is to feel this sense of approval and excitement, which makes me feel good about 
the way that I'm talking about things because I'm talking about something that it's not mine. It's this collaboration. Right now, I don't want to go any deeper into who this person is. Do they want something? It doesn't matter right now because I'm doing something else. I probably wouldn't be able to go deeper into it. Do you think that person is a guide of yours? I mean, this entire room could be full of, is probably full of ghosts right now, full of energy. I'm also existing as a human in this room right now, doing human things, doing physical world things. So when I first started doing this type of work, I would have wanted to know all of the energy that's in this room, you know, get it in my veins. Like, this is so exciting. I feel like I've gotten to this point where it's like, okay, but I also am here to live my human life. And I'm not here to get overwhelmed by the room full of ghosts. I'm here to do my work. And they're here to do their work. And there are times when our work is joined together. And I love that. And I want that. That's the most exciting thing. Is it helpful for me to have that on all the time? Definitely not. This might be a little bit of a stretch to be an analogy, but you know, when you're like 16, 17 and you first, or some people are older or younger, you first discover like going out, what that means. And you enter into a nighttime world that has a totally different energy than anything you've seen during the day and laws are different and risks are different. And this might not be for everybody. I'm realizing now that I'm saying it. Oh, New York City kid. Oh, hi. Did I grow <laughs> up in Manhattan and like to drink? Okay. This, but like you want to do it like 24 hours. You want to be there all the time. I did that. As you get older, you're like, okay, maybe once a week. Okay. Maybe once every two weeks. And you just want to watch like on Netflix, like a show about people going out. <laughs> when I was a teenager, all I wanted to do was be out at night with my friends, it doing nothing. And I dove so deep into that. You start to neglect other parts of your life that are like the daytime <laughs> stuff. That's like the human stuff and the not exciting stuff. Now it's like, I want to have the balance, not altered states or like not the norm type of experience. I love all of that. That's why like the Pisces in my chart made so much sense to me. It's also where my south node is. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. So my south node is Pisces and my north node is Virgo. I came into this world being like, yes, I would exist in dream world if I could. I don't want anything outside of these types of like altered states. Can we talk about that for a second astrologically? I think people think about like sun sign as the only sign that matters, but actually I think other planet the, placements. The nodes to me are really important because they show the energy that you're already comfortable with. And then the opposite point of the North Node is the energy that you're supposed to over this lifetime get comfortable with. And it's always opposite. I came into this world, I have mastered the Pisces world, which is like the underworld, the spiritual world, the dream world, the not in reality world. But what I need to master over this lifetime is the opposite sign of Virgo, which is participating in human life and doing things that are useful in daily life. I wish I had known that when I was younger, I spent my whole 20s just being totally checked out because that's a comfort zone for me. It was not helpful for my life. And you know, with opposites, you want to find the balance. I'm not supposed to get rid of all the Pisces stuff. I'm supposed to integrate it into the Virgo stuff. Liz, do you know your North Node? I know remarkably little for somebody who's a co-host of this specific podcast. <laughs> <laughs> do I have your chart somewhere? This is super consistent with the fact that I like go all in, but then neglect major <laughs> parts. So I'm fully committed, yet I miss foundational things, which you one can see that in every single aspect of my life. For example, <laughs> I was a college professor in an art department for 10 years. And I actually never have taken art history or drawing class or, <laughs> or painting class or, <laughs> or sculpture class or anything. Amazing. I started my art career basically with an MFA in photography. And I'm the least balanced human in that way. Yeah, I don't really know much about my chart. 
I'm Aquarius South Node, and that's conjunct my um, IC. So my North Node is conjunct my MC in Leo. Also, like, really comfortable in the support role, really uncomfortable putting myself out there. I didn't even tell my close friends in high school that I was into art until, like, Mm -hmm. 11th grade. It was like that intense where I just felt like any vulnerability would just make me so unsafe. And so I was way more comfortable being like, let me help you do it. Let me teach you to do this thing. Like, let me support you and burn down the system with you, but not be the one who's going to actually do it. Yeah, I feel like the North Node is like who we we want to be it, but we just don't know how to. We like literally just don't have the skill. We feel really inexperienced in it and it feels really unfamiliar because there's this really deep comfort with the opposite with the south known and do you feel like people will do that placement in lifetimes because you kind of have to believe in reincarnation to believe in the nodes i think the idea is there's people who will not evolve beyond their south node because that's a very easy life to stay in that uncomfortable in other ways, right, but right. it's safer. Yeah. Maybe we could talk a little bit just about being a witch and a tarot reader and like how, how did you get into all that? What does it mean for you to be a witch? I feel like that a word witch has been so widely used and maybe the definition isn't really that clear. I don't know. I mean, I, I, consider myself a witch but I'm not like a strict wicca witchcraft person use elements of that but I don't if witchcraft or wicca was is a religion you know I would be a extremely lax a modern woman it's a lot of our modern relationships to our religious institutions for me like at a base level I think being a witch is just really stepping into good relationship with nature and energy and just really placing yourself within that, not over it and living your life in a way that adheres to natural cycles. I guess it has sort of a feminine feel to it. I I think it's sort of more but not like gendered. Not gendered. I don't think that should be a consideration at all. But just when I think of, speaking of Elon Musk and the Republicans, you know, that feels like patriarchal energy that's very out of step with natural existence. Well, one thing that I had researched last year a little bit is the relationship to like energy work and divine energy and then language and patriarchal energy. And there's a book called The Goddess and the Alphabet that proposes that as soon as the written word was invented, that was the beginning of the patriarchy and organized religion and the end of like this female-centric or matriarchal society and more intuitive ways of working. They were both equally violent. I just want to say for the record, like the goddess cultures were also pretty violent, lots of like sacrifices and stuff. But and then that translated into women being traded for meat. Essentially, women were getting married to men because the men were hunting meat. And that was like the bargain. Anyway, that's not important. My sense of divinity is not gendered. I don't think of a goddess or a god. And I think what it comes down to is really natural versus unnatural. It almost has to do with time because I think women um, experience cyclical existence, whereas men don't. And it's like, obviously, that doesn't mean that everyone can't be in tune with a cyclical nature of life. It's just more built into our bodies. And even women can not be in tune with the cyclical nature of life. But if we're thinking about natural cycles, let's talk about it in terms of seasons to not talk about it in terms of people. But if you're thinking about seasons, it's like you have to be a witch. You can't not be a witch because I don't think about 
spirituality in a gendered way. Everyone has their own authentic experience of spirituality. It's hard for me to adhere to dogma because I don't think that there is one truth of existence. There are things about Wicca and witchcraft that make the most sense to me because it is about tuning into natural cycles. It is about letting people experience their own life in an empowered way and having their own agency and not interfering in other people's lives and also being intentional about your own life. And I agree with everything that that Wicca talks about in terms of spirituality. It's not important to me to adhere to any rules or structures. I think that there's ways that humans can live that are better for the world and things like Wicca can be helpful for that. If you look at the environmental impacts of religions, not to like name check Christianity, but like (laughs) over and over again on this podcast, over and over again, but like, you know, some are higher impact than others in terms of things that help people and help the planet. And it seems so obvious. Not everything that's obvious is taken as obvious now or has ever been, but like, holy moly, come on, let's lower the impact of some of these brutal institutions of religion. Can we talk a little bit about your tarot deck before we go? I'd love to hear the process of creating a tarot deck. Why'd you do it? How'd you do it? About 10 years ago is when I started learning tarot and I learned... I went to a tarot reader, a really established older tarot tarot reader, and she was great. Um, She decided at that reading that I had to learn tarot and that she was going to teach me. She mentored me. I immediately started reading tarot for other people. Did you have a background in art history? I mean, I studied a little bit of art history. I didn't major in it, but I had studied it. I feel like that makes a huge difference. I did go to art school. I think if you're an artist, you're inherently going to understand the language yes. of tarot. It's visual symbolism. I read tarot for a, a couple of years, and then I was also getting into doing the hand poke tattoos. So I was kind of like doing a ton of drawings, getting reinvigorated, reinterested in drawing in this new way. I was like, oh, it'd be cool to make a tarot deck. And then a fellow tarot reader like that month invited me to do this like she was putting on this six month intensive about tarot and she invited me to take it and so that was really helpful because it was this very deep dive into each of the major cards then I put the drawings on hold I did this six month intensive first honestly I thought I was just gonna do it it took like a year and a half to to actually do it. Were all the drawings like done on paper? All done on paper. I spent three or four months. I must have done other things, but I feel like I didn't do anything aside from work on the tarot deck. Like I really isolated myself. All of the drawings to me felt channeled. Most of them I could just draw right away. And then some of the cards I would draw and then be like, this doesn't feel right. Still I know that they're all channeled because I always look back at things that I've done before and judge them very harshly. And I am really happy with all of the cards. I don't look at any of the cards and be like, oh, I should have done that or like, or like, I wish it was different or anything. So how did you get in the space? Because I'm actually going to start working on a deck and yeah, I don't want to use my head for it because I do feel like to make something truly universal that you can use in that context you have to be in a place where you can download. So what would you do to prepare for that? I was just like fully committed. And the interesting thing that had happened when I was doing that deep immersion into all of the majors was things in my personal life were changing, like lined up with the major cards that we were working on that week. It was like insane. And I just really went with it. I'm letting the tarot just like get in there. And I think because of that, I think it deepened my understanding of the cards because I I had this experiential connection. Would you focus on one card at a time and then something in your life would kind of like reinforce? Once I was drawing them, I was I was single at the time and I would just be at home with my cats at the time and just spend all day drawing. And people's listeners... 
you can have them yourself. I actually went to your website, Small Spells, <laughs> and got the Book of Witch Ethics and the tarot deck and the explanation about the tarot deck and then a general book about energy work and boundaries. And I have been enjoying looking and going through them ever since. Yay. Awesome. That's all for this week's episode. Thanks for side wooing with us. We release episodes every other week on Thursday. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast for good karma points. Until we meet again in the woo.